0: Okay, good evening, evening. and welcome to the final class of this course, Meditation from Sinai. And today's class is entitled Mind Over Matter, Mind and Matter, I should say, The Influences of Meditation on Practice and Practice on Meditation. So, just let's have a quick recap. Of what we've discussed in the last five lessons and what we've done most of the time here in the last five weeks. We've spent exploring Jewish meditation and mindfulness, mindful practices and most of the time we spoke about when we talk about meditation and its mindful experience is helping us and challenged us to be able to look at things from a deeper emotional and intellectual perspective, and helping us look at things from a more, uh, emo- more of a meditational framing our perspectives and our attitudes to help us feel and think and live deeper. And although the, most of the meditations that we've discussed have profound relevance into the, the way we live our life, But as you noticed, most of it was cognitive. It was more in the mind of how we frame our mind to see something, to understand something, to change our perspective on something. And hopefully those meditations themselves, while we had those meditations in mind, with the practical behaviors, they changed the way we practically behave. We also came to the level of something called kavana. Last week we discussed and we began our course talking about that there are three methods of meditation. Hidbonenut. Hitbodedut and kavana, hitbodedut, which means to uh, seclusion, hitbonunut contemplation, and then last week we spoke about the concept of kavana which means intent. By properly having intent, by properly focusing on what we do, recognizing that whatever we do, whether it's eating, drinking, or sleeping, and if done for the right purpose with a specific intention, it has value to it and it is able to uplift it and change it and transform it. This way, the things that we do have are transformed and therefore we can experience and making every moment an experienced one, a purposeful one, and useful one, when we put our mind to it. So what we went through was the three different types of levels of understanding and appreciating what meditation can do, how meditation helps us reframe and understand and appreciate the different aspects that we have in life. But all of it was, in the past that we spoke about, was a cognitive exercise that we've looked at so far. We then spoke about its cognitive experience of how it affects on our action. But Judaism takes the concept of meditation even a step further. And today we're going to go even a step further on what we usually spoke about until now. Today we're going to take an unconventional way of looking at meditation, which we would call breaks the norms of the definition of meditation. What, is that? what do I mean by this? When we talk about medication, meditation, medication? there we go. When we talk about meditation, and maybe medication is on people's minds, but meditation, when we talk about meditation, if I were to ask you, and as we started off this course, we had this question, how central is meditation to Judaism? And at the beginning of this course, many of you said, is it even Jewish? Is It Eastern philosophy. Is it something that's Jewish? And as we learned, and as we came to know, that meditation is a Jewish practice nonetheless. In fact, maybe many of the Easter meditations, as we've discussed, even taken it from Jewish meditation, but from a different perspective of what meditation is all about. But is meditation a mitzvah? Would you say meditation is part of the mitzvahs? Is it one of the mitzvahs? It may help you understand a mitzvah. It may help you be cognitive of a mitzvah. But would you say that meditation is part of a mitzvah? Does it work within a mitzvah? Maybe it helps you perform a mitzvah. Maybe it helps you perform a mitzvah. There you go. So we will see definitely that Jewish practice in it has a big role in developing our consciousness. There are commandments that, God told, uh, that we know. Maimonides to believe in God, feel God, love God. But what does it really mean and how does it affect meditation? So if you were to look at Judaism in general, as you can see in exercise number 6.1, on a scale from one to five, what would you consider the most central kind, uh, central aspect of Judaism in following to Judaism? Action, one through five, what would you say? Action is, where does that have in Judaism? Five. Five, okay. Values? Five. five. Faith? Three. Five. Uh, three. <laughs> Mindfulness? Five. Four. Three. Four, three, okay. So, of course, the first thing when you think about a mitzvah when you think about a mitzvah, is it about the mindful practice of the mitzvah? Of course, yes, we know that we spoke about there's kavanah, the intent of why you're doing the mitzvah. And we always talk about the daily practices of things that we do. But if we want to look at Judaism as a whole, and if I were to ask you, or if somebody were to come up to you and ask you some to me in Judaism, in five words, what would you say? 613, 613 mitzvahs, which you need to do, do, do. right? So your first thing that you want to do about Judaism, the first thing that comes to mind when you think about Judaism, is seemingly action-oriented. Now, it's interestingly enough, you mentioned 613 mitzvahs. How many mitzvahs do you think we can actually do today?
1: Somewhere in the 200, maybe. Even
0: less than that. (laughs) So in the positive commandments and the negative commandments, you can do all of them. There are 365 negative and there are 248 positive. 365 negative, you just go to sleep, you did all of them, right? But the 248 positive... According to some opinions, there's as little as 87. According to some, 78. How many actual applicable mitzvahs one individual can do today? Many of them apply only the time at the temple. Many of them, you have to be a kohen, you have to be a king, you have to be the There's so many different variables of many of those mitzvahs. So actually, practically speaking, what you can do today are probably only 87 mitzvahs. So don't, don't worry about when you hear the number 613. But the concept over here is... What are those 87 mitzvahs we're talking about? What are the 248? Most of them are action-oriented. As we see in Ethics of Our Fathers, text number one, Ethics of Our Father tells us, the essential thing is not study, but deed. Seemingly, we see from here, from this ethics of our fathers, that Judaism tells us that we have to live our life in a construct through the 613 commandments. And if you take the 613 commandments, even the 87 that we have, or if you look at the code of Jewish law, it runs the gamut of every single facet of your life. You can think of anything in your life, there is a law about it in Judaism, down to the nitty-gritty of how you tie your shoe, which shoe you should tie first. According to Jewish law, you have to tie your left shoe first before your right shoe. No kidding. There are laws about that. There are laws about how you have to be in the bathroom. There are laws about modesty. There's laws about how you walk in the street. There's laws about how you have to conduct business. Every single aspect of your life, there is an action-based, oriented type of behavior that the Torah commands us of how we should and go about it. Therefore, seemingly one would say, if, if the main thing is action, and the main thing is deed, where does meditation come in? How does meditation fall into all of this? does meditation have value? If we're living in a way that we if the concept of mitzvot, of commandments that God gives us is basically on the way that we act, so then where does meditation come in? Everything that we're learning about then and everything we learned about in the past five classes seemingly only seem to be on the margin only seeming on the peripheral really don't have much to do with the actual actuality of what we're doing when we talk about the observance of mitzvahs. And what we're going to learn today in this lesson is that even in the most active practice of mitzvot, it is a part of Jewish meditation. And in there, there is a meditative experience. As we will see, that meditation is not only a central concept to Judaism, but it is actually a foundation to every single mitzvah that we do. Then not only is meditation something on the peripheral or marginal concept that, oh, well, it's good to have meditation if you want to know the mitzvah that you're doing or helpful to do it, but meditation is actually fundamental to the mitzvahs. What did we talk about meditation is? How did we define meditation, Jewish meditation? We define Jewish meditation, the effort to purposely focus your mind and develop a deeper awareness to achieve a desired result. To achieve a desired result. The concept of meditation is telling us that our actions mean something to achieve a result. Just like the man can be harnessed for this purpose, so too we will learn today how we can use our body, the action of the mitzvah, to achieve the desired result that meditation has as well. So to summarize, what we're going to be learning today is that mitzvahs are the there, even though they seem action oriented but they are completely integrated with meditation into every part of our living not just our thinking and that's the catch meditation to something is only something about thinking what we're going to see is that the mitzvah the living part, the action part of the mitzvah is very much connected and fundamental to meditation, yes what is the difference between thinking about something continuing to think about okay. something until the live- becomes meditation. What do you mean by that? Well,
2: like if I'm thinking about something, let's say I'm thinking about the sushi, and how nice it looks, and how good it tastes, and everything. But like, no, really, like Rabbi Wolf last week was saying, roll
0: around in your Correct, so when you think about that concept, that's what meditation is. Meditation is that you're thinking about the item, and you're contemplating, and because of that, it brings you to act in a certain way. That means I think about a certain idea, And because I think about that idea, therefore, I'm relaxed about it. I know its greatness. I see its beauty in it. Same idea like a painting. I can just walk by a painting and not even notice all the beautiful strokes that are on it. Because I contemplate and meditate about it, I begin to understand and appreciate. And the same is the beautiful world we live in. We can look at the world and be disgusted by it. Or we can look at the different details and the unbelievable thousands of millions of molecules and atoms that are there that God put it for us. And therefore, we'll begin to appreciate. That's what we discussed in the previous classes so now let's take this idea on the surface seemingly we would suggest that what are mitzvot books of laws the way God instructs us to do and to live our life the question is is just going through the motions enough what do I mean by this let's take an example an hypothetical the hypothetical would be for example You're on your way taking a stroll one morning. It happens to be Rosh Hashanah morning. And your stroll happens to be in front of a synagogue. And as you're strolling through in front of the synagogue, you hear the sound of the shofar. You never knew it's Rosh Hashanah. You didn't intend to hear the shofar. But you so happen to hear the beautiful shofar blast coming from the synagogue. Did you fulfill your obligation of hearing the shofar? Let's take it a step further. Or another case. It's Friday night. You're having company over. And therefore you said, well, company's coming over. How nice it would be to light some candles. And it so happened to be 529 when you lit those candles on the table. Did you fulfill the obligation of lighting Shabbat candles? Regardless, did I fulfill the obligation by shofar there's a bracha too? By shofar there's a blessing as well. Every mitzvah there's a blessing. Yes, we'll get to it in a moment. Regardless, but then if you didn't hear, we were talking about you didn't hear the blessing. Okay. So let's say somebody lit the candles and exactly at that moment did they fulfill the obligation of lighting Shabbat candles. Or let's take it another case. You're starving. You're hungry. And therefore you go to the supermarket. The only thing they have that's not stale is matzah. <laughs> and you decide to chump down some matzah one late night and it so happened to be the night of the Seder did you fulfill your obligation? Yeah. I say no. Okay. <laughs> I, think I went three through three the motions.
2: Times. What if you don't do any of it? But I, you know. you
1: just I, right with I say like, the, the only one that counts is
0: the show. So here I'll give you another scenario, and the reason why I'm going to give you this scenario is as we're going to see, there are differences. I'm walking down the street, and $20 falls out of my pocket. And when $20 falls out of my pocket behind me, For some reason, a little bit later, a poor man was walking down the street found out $20. He now takes those $20 and buys lunch and is able to satisfy himself with it. Did I do the mitzvah of giving charity?
1: Absolutely not. (laughs) not, Not only did I not
0: know that I gave charity, I had no intent to give charity. Did I do the mitzvah? What do we see with all these common denominators, with all these different cases that I just gave you? Are people doing an action with zero knowledge, A, that there's a mitzvah even, or even the very fact that they are doing a mitzvah. Did they accomplish the mitzvah? Did they do the mitzvah? Now, as, As you can imagine, as there's the debate in this room, just like that thousands of years ago back in the Talmudic Academy, there was a big debate about this issue. Text number two. To fulfill a mitzvah and obligation, we must actively intend to observe that mitzvah. Therefore, if we observe a mitzvah unwittingly or for a purpose other than to perform the mitzvah, we have not fulfilled the mitzvah at all. Some Torah authorities disagree and opine that mitzvahs do not require intent and are fulfilled even when performed unwittingly. However, the final law sides with the former opinion. What do we see? One second. Let's take it. We're going to go through it in a moment. What we see over here is Everyone agrees, let's take one step, a, Let's. at everybody agrees. Everyone agrees, ideally, when I do a mitzvah, I have to have an intent. Now everyone agrees, I have to have at least an elementary level of intent, which means that I'm doing a mitzvah. Do I need to have the complete intent, what the intent is, and so on, we'll get to in a moment. The question over here is, if I did an action... And I have zero intent. I dropped the dollar out of my pocket, the poor man found it. I lit candles, I didn't even know it's Shabbos. I heard the chauffeur. I didn't even know it's Rosh Hashanah. Did I do the mitzvah? And with this there's an debate in the Talmud, and one authority says, if you had no intent of the mitzvah, you did absolutely nothing. You did not fulfill your obligation. Another opinion will argue and say, no, the very fact that I went through the motions, I did the mitzvah. And this is the argument that we have in the Talmud, If it is, and the halacha is, Jewish law sides with the fact that intent is required for a mitzvah. However, there's one caveat. There are exceptions. For example, when this mitzvah was done and somebody else gained from it, then it doesn't matter what the intent is. For example, in the case of charity, when I drop the money out of my pocket... Because the poor man enjoyed it and sustained him, it doesn't make a difference what intent I had. Because somebody practically gained from it, I did the mitzvah. When it comes to eating matzah, same idea. Because I became nourished from the eating of the matzah, I actually ate it. I consumed it. Regardless of what my intent is, the Torah says I have to eat matzah. Therefore, I fulfill the obligation. However, when it comes to hearing the chauffeur or lighting the candles, where none of those commandments did I internalize, there are only external actions. Those actions can also be translated to being something else. Then halacha would require that you have to have intent. That means when I'm listening to the chauffeur, I have to know that I'm fulfilling the obligation of hearing chauffeur. When I'm lighting Shabbat candles, I have to mind that I'm lighting Shabbat candles and I'm not lighting decoration candles. So there's a difference even in these cases. But the fact over here of the matter is...
1: Let me ask you a question. If you drop $20... And an oligarch, billionaire, Russian picks it up and uses it for. I'm just saying. Yeah? In other words, you're, you're saying that dropping the $20 is a mitzvah. I didn't say dropping it, the $20 is the mitzvah. No, no, no. I said the poor man getting it I know. is the mitzvah. So, so the mitzvah then is. So the, 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 when you committed the mitzvah or, or, or whether you did a commandment and did the mitzvah is based upon who picks up the $20?
0: Oh, so it's a very good question you're asking. And why does the mitzvah is now dependent on somebody else? It's an interesting question. And I'll tell you, I'll take your question even further. And just to show you an interesting point just about the mitzvah of tzedakah, I don't want to get sidetracked it. Every mitzvah we make a blessing for, and we'll get to in a moment. What's the only mitzvah that says clearly in the Torah probably over ten times is helping a poor man or helping a person, whether it's in the field, leaving the parts of the field for them, whatever it is. And nowhere and ever do we ever make a blessing for the giving of tzedakah. We don't make a blessing on it. Why don't we make a blessing to give tzedakah? We make a blessing on lighting Shabbos candle. We make a blessing on every other thing. Why? And the answer is because if you were to live in an island before the internet and everything else, there's no way you can give tzedakah. Tzedakah is the only mitzvah that's dependent on somebody else. You can't do it on your own. And therefore you can't make a blessing on something because maybe you're going to make a blessing and the poor man won't be there anymore. Or maybe you're going to make a blessing and the person won't be there to give tzedakah. Maybe you became rich overnight, whatever it may be. So because the mitzvah of tzedakah is dependent on another person, therefore, yes, you only may give tzedakah when the person received it. However, there's a little interesting tidbit. If I give tzedakah and the person's a fraud, did I do the obligation? Did I do the mitzvah? Yes. Yes. Why? Because my intent was to give tzedakah, that person's considered stealing from tzedakah. But I did my mitzvah of giving tzedakah. But that's a whole separate conversation. But the fact is that the mitzvah needs intent. Now think about this for a moment. If the law was only just to have laws, just for the sake of a law, would intent matter? Take an example. You teach your children to be safe. And therefore you tell them not to run into the street. And they're not going to run into the street. Does it really matter why they're not running in the street? As long as they're staying safe. Or if when a person gets pulled over by a cop and says, when you went over the speed limit, did you intend to go over the speed limit? Oh, you just went over this. It doesn't make a difference. You keep the law. You don't go by the red light, whether your intentions are not. That means if I look at a law from a simple, simplistic, just law-abiding citizen, if you want to call it, intent wouldn't matter. The very fact that Jewish law demands that there should be intent, the very fact that the practical behavior of the mitzvah, in needs intent, teaches us that the mitzvah is not only about action. There's something deeper between every mitzvah that's done. The mitzvah is not only hearing the shofar. That's maybe the body of the mitzvah. That's the physical action of the mitzvah. But there's something deeper behind this mitzvah. And therefore, obviously, The mitzvahs here serve for a certain purpose, which go beyond the practical behavior. And to achieve this, we need to have intent when the mitzvah is done. If we take, for example, there are many possible reasons why mitzvahs would need this intent. And Jewish literature is full of different approaches of the purpose of the mitzvah. And depending which mitzvahs, as we know, mitzvahs are layered into different different items. There are mitzvahs that we do as a testimony. There are mitzvahs that we do just because God told us to do the law. There are mitzvahs that we do for rational values and reasons. But what we're going to look at, a number of these approaches, and see how they shed light on the concept of the meditative element into the Jewish ritual that we do a mitzvah. One approach for a mitzvah is how we view the actual mitzvah itself. What is a mitzvah? What is a mitzvah? Literally translated, many people translate a mitzvah commandment. But actually a mitzvah is there to serve as a conduit, to serve as a relationship for God. Many people mistranslate the word mitzvah to mean good deed. The word mitzvah literally in Hebrew comes from the word mitzaveh, which means a commandment. The word commandment goes even deeper. But in fact, the word commandment means the word tzafsa, which means to connect. What does it mean to connect? In the words of the previous rabbi, he says as follows. The word mitzvah means a connection, as in the Aramaic term tzafta, attach and join. One who performs a mitzvah with God's very self, for God is the issuer of the commandment. This is the significance of the sages, the reward of a mitzvah is a mitzvah. The bonding of a mortal who performs the commandment with the infinite God, who issued the commandment, is in itself the greatest reward. What is that telling us? The very fact that I ask you to do something for me means that we have a relationship. Take, for example, and our first Chabad Rebbe brings this example in Tanya many times. Take, for example, Albert Einstein's giving a class in the university. Only the prize students come to hear his class. But then there is the also the custodian that's there cleaning the class. And he turns to the custodian and he says, Do you mind getting me a cup of water? What happened now? Albert Einstein connected with all the people in the class through his intellect. But the very fact that he recognized the custodian and asked him to get him that cup of water, even though he may not be able to intellectually connect with the custodian, but he has now a relationship. A relationship that goes beyond intellect because now the custodian got the water for him, he asked him for the water, and the very fact that he needs him and you need each other, you automatically create the bond. The same idea is when we look at our relationship that we have with God. The act of a mitzvah is the mitzvah itself. God desires to have a relationship with the Jewish people. But God is the infinite great Almighty God, how can we, mortal beings, have a relationship with God? How can we, as people, have a relationship where we are finite mortal beings, have a relationship with the infinite great God? What do we do? So what does God do? He gives us the mitzvahs. The mitzvahs are these opportunities that he says here, do something for me, this way you can have a relationship with me. And therefore, God desires to make the mitzvah so we can become relevant. He gives us mitzvahs, as we say it in the Mishnah. God gave us many mitzvahs. is so many mitzvahs? So we can have so many more opportunities to create a relationship with God. That means, in us for to truly uh, relate to something which is infinite, in God's transcendence, what does he do? He picks a mitzvah. He tells you, do this act. By doing this act, he creates the relationship. And by us reciprocating and doing that act, we now solidify that relationship that we have with God. So a mitzvah is not merely a good deed or even just following what God wants, but it's actually an opportunity for us to have a relationship with God. The mitzvah is telling us that we are actually relevant. And this model... Think about it for a moment. The mitzvah doesn't even have to have a meaning. In the words of the mangush, even if God were to tell us to chop wood, the very fact that God told us to do it automatically has a relationship. It doesn't make a difference what the mitzvah is. Whether it's shofar, or whether it's uh, lighting Shabbat candles, putting on tefillin, or fasting am Kippur, every single one of those mitzvahs, in that essence, in that sense, has exact quality to it. Just like you have a body and a soul, the body is the action of the mitzvah. And the soul is the intent behind the mitzvah. And the same way in life you can't have a body without a soul, so too you cannot have an action of a mitzvah without the relationship that is coming because of that mitzvah. The intent of the mitzvah is the soul of the mitzvah. And if you don't have the soul, the body is lifeless. And therefore... What does the mitzvah require? Intent. The spiritual meditation of the mitzvah impacts the change of the mitzvah. It automatically gives me a whole new definition of what my mitzvah is all about. I start having a feeling, an understanding, and an appreciation for what this mitzvah is. Take, for example, in a human relationship. If a spouse buys flowers for one another, he can buy flowers, put it on the table, not say anything, nobody will know anything, okay. The delivery person brought the flowers, the spouse brought the flowers, there's nothing to it. The action was done, but is there any feeling, any emotion, any expression, nothing to it. But if the flowers are bought with an intent, you buy the flowers that the spouse wants, and there's a desire and it's given with a certain emotion, a certain smile, and a certain reaction, automatically there's more meaning to that action that was done. Not only that, the, flat, the fact that you gave the flowers all of a sudden has it more meaningful to it. Because you can give somebody flowers, but if the person's allergic to flowers, you're not doing them any good. The same idea is when we talk about mitzvahs. Our relationship with God, we're doing something. Yes, I can give flowers. But if I'm just placing the flowers under table or just passing or having the delivery person deliver or not even see or make it any, anything significant, what do the flowers mean? Absolutely nothing. What does the mitzvah mean? It's meaningless. So an intimate expression of love, of our relationship with God, is not merely the action of the mitzvah, but also comes with the intent of the mitzvah. Mitzvahs operate in the same way. The act alone may be powerful. I can hear the shofar, I can put on the tefillah, and I can do light the candles. But what have I accomplished? What have I done? If not me, somebody else could do the exact same thing if there's no meaning and no feeling behind it. If the whole purpose of the mitzvah is that God wants and desires the relationship, then you need to invest in the relationship. And the way you invest in the relationship is to be cognizant and conscious that you are part of this relationship. And that's the intent of the mitzvah. The same idea. The more we appreciate the infinite, the transcendence, the uniqueness of God the more we can appreciate the cosmic opportunity that God gives us and that's embedded within every single mitzvah. In all the previous lessons, we channeled the mitzvah in the performance. That means before doing the mitzvah, we understood and appreciated and said, when I think about what I'm eating and sleeping and use it for a godly purpose, even that becomes godly. Over here, what we're saying is that the actual act of the practice of the mitzvah itself imbues within the individual an actual change. How does that happen? How do we make that when we do a mitzvah, we should have the right intent? How do we make that when we do the mitzvah, the lighting of the Shabbos candles, it shouldn't just be some type of act or listening to a shofar eating? The matzah it shouldn't be just another to thing on my to do list, but there should be that enthusiastic intent. For that reason, the sages made that before we do a mitzvah, we have to make a blessing. And this goes back to you what you mentioned before. Did they make the blessing when they lighted lit the Shabbos candles? Did they make the blessing when they heard the shofar? Why? Because the blessing is what gives us and directs us and channels our intent when we do the mitzvah. What do we say in the blessing? What does the blessing mean? Text number four. This is the inner significance of the blessing recited prior to performing the mitzvah. Blessed are you who sanctified us with the mitzvahs. In the Hebrew, the term kiddush means sanctification, betroth. Through performing a mitzvah, we are bound to God like a man betrothing his wife for the sake of being intimately united with each other. As the Torah states, regarding the bonding of the first human couple, he shall cleave to his wife and he shall become one flesh. When we study Torah, or perform a commandment, we we'll achieve a similar, indeed an infinitely deeper and truer sure unity between our soul and, along with all the elements, and God's absolute infinite light. What is the Alter Rebbe telling us of here? When we make a blessing, and we say the words Baruch Atah Hashem, Blessed are You, God. What are we saying? Asher, kidishanu, that he sanctified us. That right now when I'm going to do this mitzvah, this mitzvah is going to connect me. It doesn't only mean sanctified, but God wants to have an intimate relationship with me. And by me lighting Shabbos candles, by me putting on tefillin, by me hearing shofar, eating matzah, listening to the Megillah, pick your mitzvah. God is saying, I can be intimate with you in so many different ways, and when you do this mitzvah, that's exactly what you're doing. Because there's no other way that you the finite can have some connection with the infinite. With you the mortal being have some connection with the transcendent existence. So what does God say? Here's your opportunity. Join me. And the blessing before we make the the blessing is there. As we make the blessing what it's doing is He sanctifies us. He engages us. And all of a sudden now this mitzvah becomes that connection that ring that brings us together with God. Yes? What
1: about
0: those blessings that you don't say Asher Even if we don't say Asher Kedishanu, in fact, the words, Baruch Atah Hashem, the words, it's brought Asher Kedishanu because those are mitzvahs of action. All mitzvahs of action, we say Asher Uh The blessings that we say, for example, that there aren't Asher Kedishanu, like before eating food, that's because we're asking permission, not it's a blessing of action of a mitzvah. So we're saying baruch Ata Hashem, and even then the word baruch means to draw down Ata from you, from the greatest level. Then when I'm eating this piece of bread, I'm not just eating this piece of bread, I'm using this piece of bread to draw down the greatest level of holiness to have a relationship with God. So every single mitzvah, the blessing before the mitzvah, helps me channel my proper intent and meditation for the mitzvah to recognize that the mitzvah that I'm doing is a moment of profound intimacy with God and connects me with an infinite transcendence that would, I would never be able to have that connection otherwise. Now, what do I see? That the mitzvah itself, the action itself, brings me to a level of meditation that I wouldn't be able to get to on its own. It's a mitzvah that comes with an intent. The mitzvah has a prior meditation, if you want to call it, before it, that helps elevate and utilize the mitzvah to bring me to that intent. Here's a little sample of one of those meditations.
2: Pleasant thoughts can instill joy. Your imagination can conjure up many beautiful things, and yet it can't match reality. The actual experience in real time, in real life surpasses imagination. Gently close your eyes. And become aware of how powerful your imagination is. Conjure up a picture of yourself flying through the air with ease, comfortably, like a bird. The Imagination allows you places and experiences that are beyond the laws of nature, because imagination comes from a very profound spiritual source. Bring to mind someone you love profoundly, a child, a spouse, a good friend, whichever. Become aware of their absence. They are away from you. Perhaps on a holiday. Perhaps living in another city. In your mind, give them a hug, embrace them. How does that feel? Doesn't it feel wonderful? And yet, if you were to meet them personally, one-on-one, and embrace them in reality, would not that be even much more powerful? That's why when people are absent and our connectedness is breached, we yearn and want their presence. And when they are with us, we can create that presence, the wonderfulness of being truly one. imagine the thought of doing a mitzvah saying a nice word to someone who needs encouragement and yet all the good intentions don't measure up to actually saying it in real time in real life when we do a mitzvah in real time and real life we embrace Hashem we touch what we call Atmos, the very essence of godliness make a personal commitment after this session to experience an embrace of God doing a very real mitzvah
0: So what we've seen so far is that throwing a practical mitzvah with intent motivates an emotion and a meditation that we can achieve for the action. So, so far we established that mitzvahs are not just behaviors, but they are fueled by the ideas of meditation. But now let's take it even a step further. And then we'll see that not only do mitzvahs require meditation to be wholesome, but that mitzvahs are a meditation on their own. What does that mean? As we mentioned, the whole point of the mitzvahs, are for developing, until now we explained, that relationship with God. But over here we're going to see something even deeper about a mitzvah. That mitzvahs are beyond providing that connection that we have with God, that they are also there to provide a benefit for us. That means every single mitzvah has a unique virtue and quality that is designed and the reason why God gave us these 613 mitzvahs were because they are designed and there to help us grow, and each one of them teaches us and helps us grow. Meaning that if we look at the mitzvahs, and in fact it's an interesting thing in modern Avuchim, which is in the Guide for the Perplexed, Maimonides actually takes many of the mitzvahs, even the abstract mitzvahs, which we don't know the rationale for, And gives a rationale for them because he explains that every single mitzvah was there and is there to be able to teach us a lesson and to help us become better. In the words of Rabbi Moshe Benachman, Nachmanides says it as follows. Text number five. Our sages taught, state, that mitzvahs were given only to refine the person. The purpose of the mitzvahs is not to benefit God, but rather to benefit humankind. To keep them safe from harm, to shield them from negative beliefs, and base character traits to remind them of the miracles and the wonders of the Creator. The Medrash employs the term litzareif, to refining, which usually refers to refining silver. This informs us that the mitzvahs refine mortals in a similar way to the way a silversmith refines silver. Silver refinement is a purposeful task, done for the sake of removing impurities. Similarly, the mitzvahs are designed to remove every harmful belief from our hearts, to inform us of the truth, and to enable us to constantly be mindful of the truth. Maimonides puts it in the Guide of Perplex this way. Each of the 613 commandments exists either to communicate a correct view or to dismiss an unhealthy view to communicate a rule of justice or to ward off an injustice, to endow people with a noble moral quality or to warn them against a negative moral quality. Over here what they're telling us, Nachmanides and Maimonides are telling us, every single one of the mitzvahs, not only do they help us connect to God, not only is the intent of the mitzvah required to help us have a relationship with God, but the actual mitzvah itself creates a benefit for the human being, whether it's to keep them safe from harm, shield them from negative beliefs, endow them in the miracles of the behavior, or that they should be able to know God. Every single one of the mitzvahs has that benefit to it. And therefore, when God gave us the mitzvahs, he gave it to us for our benefit. God gains nothing from the mitzvahs, if we want to call it that way. He's not a human being. He's not a mortal being. He can do it out the mitzvahs. But he gave us those mitzvahs and he said, look, I put you in a physical world. There's a lot of distractions. There may be a lot of problems. There's a lot of negativity. There's an evil inclination. And here I've gave you the armament. I've given you the power, the tools to perfect yourselves, to make yourself better. So the actions itself, the mitzvah itself, develops the individual and gives the person that they should be able to be in that vision that God see it. Now the question is, you could ask. If God wanted to teach us morality, if God wanted that we should behave properly, just create us that way. There's actually a very interesting question. Why did God have to create the world that there should be a rich person and a poor person? Just give everybody what they need. Why did God have to make differences? Why did God have to create us imperfect? And then he gives us the mitzvahs here. You want to fix shape yourself up? This is what you got to do. Just create us perfect. We won't have any issues. But what did God do? He mandated behaviors. God put us in a way that the mitzvahs are meant to achieve this purpose. Look in text number 7. And now my child, this is quoted from the Sefer HaChinuch. And now my child, I will enlighten you to appreciate the Torah and its precepts. You are influenced by your behavior and your feelings. And your thoughts consistently follow your action. Whether for the positive or for the negative, the actions have power to overcome the negative inclination within you, since the attitude of your heart are influenced by your behaviors. You know, we're very accustomed to thinking, you know, I influence my behavior. Mind over matter. I will decide how I'm going to behave. I'm going to make sure that what I'm going to do. I'm going to be in control of what I have but we see that sometimes it's not always true. The way we behave automatically affects the way we think. The way we do things, and when we become accustomed to doing things, they effectively change our emotional and cognitive processing. Think about it this way. Sit up straight. Make your shoulders broad. You'll all of a sudden start having a broad way of thinking. Stand tall and straight. Don't they tell you before you go an interview? If you're walking like a slouch, they're going to say you're a nebbach case. I'll take the next person. But you're walking proud with your button tied and your tie clear and everything else. Oh, this is an impressive individual. What did the guy do different? Nothing. He just stood up straight. Not only that, even in your own mind. When you want to be able to feel accomplished and you don't want to feel repressed, you want to feel that you take on the day, you got to stand up. Put yourself up in a proper perspective. In one of these very famous TED Talks, there was a woman by the name of Dr. Amy uh, Cuddy who spoke about body language and she presented this concept of power posing even though some people wanted to say that it wasn't true and therefore they said it's not true and they couldn't try to prove against it but she was able to prove it and see that the fact of the matter is that when people are so to speak standing tall and positive within themselves it automatically changes the way they think body language body posture posture can actually shift your mindset and make you feel more confident i always say the story when we were kids and this was before i knew about this ted talk about this concept when we were kids, we used to go every single uh, Friday afternoon to visit people and in different uh, areas to put on tefillin with them. And to say the least, we didn't go through the best neighborhoods on the subway. Uh, Bedford Stuy, do- do- those days, Bedford Stuy, whatever. And we would go on the t- train station that we had on the subway. And there were also, at that same time, school was being let out. And we say that we were outnumbered by the people that were on the train and we would carry our little attach case you know those are people that remember the little briefcase that we had our fill and our tzedakah box or whatever was in it and sometimes a little scary and we always saw and i remember this as a kid we stand like this We're two little short kids you know on the train but if we stand like this who's going to come nobody started up with us if we were hiding in the corner all of a sudden we got surrounded by many different teenagers that Told us many wonderful things.
2: <laughs>
0: but you saw it in yourself when you have that confidence, when you show that confidence, when you have that posture, the actions, your behaviors changes So long before this whole scientific caught the wind of this, Jewish tradition had the same idea that if postures and moods can affect our attitude and our behavior how much more so practices and things that we do also affect the way our thinking. Now you want to say, oh, that sounds like meditation. Yes, it is. But through action. And this is what I mean. When the mitzvahs are actually meditators, the mitzvahs are actually methods of meditation. When we do a mitzvah and we become engulfed and in practice of what this mitzvah is, what we're doing is we're changing our character based on the actions. When we become And this is going back to the question, why then did God make people poor and make people rich? Because God wanted that we should develop our character. And when we continue to be charitable, and if we continue to be kind, what does that do? That changes our character, changes the way we think. You'll notice, and this is a very interesting thing, practices change the way people think. Americans spend the most money. Of all countries. Americans are the most charitable of all countries. And of all countries in the world, America is the most charitable of all countries. Why is that? I'm saying American people. Why? Because the American government, it's in—it's in, it's in part of our culture to help, to give others, to spend. Maybe beyond our means, maybe that may be a problem or two. But the bottom line is that American people, it's part of the nature of an American individual, to be giving, or to be spending. Maybe that's why most of Americans are in debt. That's a different story, but the concept is, you go to other countries, let's say, for example, take England, an average donation in England is five pounds, 10 pounds. In America, an average donation is $54, $36. Very different, speak to any nonprofit. Look at donations that go to the Red Cross, where the majority of the nations come from. Not from Saudi Arabia, not from, uh Emeritus, not from Kuwait, not where places where they're oil-rich with money and oil garks, whatever they may be. And there are certain cultures, the culture is a giving culture, generous cultures. Israel is a generous culture. They're always helping other. It's part of the nature of the Jewish people, that we're generous. That's why majority of the uh, big jo- uh, majority of the nations in the world come from Jewish people. Why? Because actions change the individual. Actions, the mitzvah itself transforms the person. And therefore, if you're looking to, to change your character, if you're looking to have an appreciation of life, if you're looking to be able to have, find solace, calmness, look into your faith, practice more. Like the fellow once came over to a rabbi, I think it was Rabbi Samson Raphael Hirsch, from the 19th century in Germany. So the fellow comes over to the rabbi and says, I don't practice Judaism i don't believe in god the rabbi looks at him and says you don't believe in god because you don't practice practice is what makes us believe the very fact that we practice that's what makes us the meditative effect of our behavior of our mitzvahs is what changes the individual that when we do a mitzvah we become a changed person I'm not the same person that I did before. Just like when I have a good posture, I have that confidence. When I do a mitzvah, I automatically become a different person. The same way when I help another person, I feel better that I help that person. The same thing is also when I do a mitzvah and I connect with God, I become and I feel better and I feel connected. That's the point of the mitzvah. The mitzvah itself, the action itself changes the individual. And this effect happens subconsciously. That the more we do it, all of a sudden we feel the need. We become addicted to it. become excited about it. We get a high because of it. How many people start studying Torah? And all of a sudden they study one part. and they want to study something else. And then study something else. We do a mitzvah. So we help this person. Then they go help that person. Once we break out of that bubble. Once we start appreciating it. All of a sudden we see the effect that it has on our life. This shifts our entire idea and attitude. Towards Jewish rituals and practices from becoming a very taxing and traditional symbolic ritual that all of a sudden I have to go to shul because my grandmother went and my grandfather went and I didn't go and then I have the Jewish guild and all the things that come along with it. But if I think for a moment, one second, if I want to meditate, I want to feel better, I want to feel good about myself, then I'll do a mitzvah. The mitzvah is, so to speak, changing my behavior, changing my patterns. It's ingrained within myself that I shall be able to look at life differently. And it's important to remember that this is not the only purpose of the mitzvahs. We can say that you can practice the meditation of that practical performance and achieve that moral growth maybe without doing the mitzvah. No, you need to have both. And like we said, the mitzvah is that divine directive that God gives us. It's the tool, it's the dual purpose. It energizes us with that intent that God says, I want to have the relationship. And when I do that mitzvah, that gives us the, the satisfaction. It gives us the ability, the meditative quality of that feature, of that whole multifaceted purpose of creating the relationship with God and at the same time giving me that calm, that solace and uplifting me to that level that meditation helps me. Utilizing meditation harnesses the behavior and channels our minds and our hearts towards those moral and spiritual elevations. As we see in text number 8, the side effect that we get from doing a mitzvah, which is telling us the main focus within Judaism is action, which entails practically fulfilling the mitzvah. At the same time, each Torah-based action has an effect on the person's character. Learning Torah and fulfilling mitzvahs refine the mind and emotions as we as repeatedly emphasized in the work of Maimonides, who served as a guide for the perplexed of his generation and continues to serve as a guide for truth seekers in all subsequent errors. So just like in classic meditation models we explained that the emotion focuses the mind in a certain way to be mindful and through the different techniques that meditation offers, so too mitzvahs channel those ideas through our body, through the specific behavioral techniques, like the mind, physical actions, and produces attitudes and behaviors that we can then do them better. And what we're going to see now is a few different mitzvah meditations. We're going to pick five different mitzvahs that we're going to see that those five different mitzvahs help us change our behavior practically, just like meditation, these mitzvah meditations. So let's try to zero in on a few of them and see the meditative effect from those mitzvahs that happen. Sometimes you may be aware of it and sometimes not. But the very fact that we'll talk about it will help us be aware of it and amplify it and help us get better at it. The first mitzvah is a very common one. And the mitzvah that we're going to talk about is charity. Charity seemingly doesn't seem like at first as a meditative mitzvah it's the value of charity is pretty simple. The poor person needs money, I'm there to give it to him. The poor person needs help, I'll help them out. What's the meditation part of it? So let's see in text number nine. The rule of the mitzvah to lend to the poor is that God desired that his creatures become accustomed and train themselves in the characteristics of kindness and mercy. For these are praiseworthy characteristics. And through training the bodies to according to positive traits, they will be worthy of receiving goodness. For as we have explained, goodness and blessings fall exclusively on the good. If we're not for God the, this benefit, God could provide the poor with His needs without us. Rather, our sheer kindness, the blessed God made us as messengers so we can become meritorious through this process. I mentioned this example before. Why does God make rich people and poor people? God could have designed a world that everybody would have what they need, but he wanted that we should have a method to develop positive character traits. And how do we develop positive character traits? Is by being kind to other people. When we are kind to other people, automatically within ourselves, that idea of generosity, that idea of kindness automatically creates within ourselves. You can see, and even in psychology, they see people that live alone, or people that are their only child, whatever it is. It may be sometimes difficult for them to be sharing in school, to then become less generous because their whole life it was all about self-centered, about themselves. But people who are, grow up, let's say, in larger families, automatically are more generous, and they'll even find something interesting. Sometimes they find that people who have less means are more generous than people who have more means. Why? Because people who have less means know what it means, so to speak, to help another person. And therefore, they have already developed that level of kindness. And even if they have less, but they're still sharing. And the concept is not how much, but the concept is to develop within yourself that character of kindness. And charity helps us develop the, char- the character and exercise the kindness muscle. Giving charity makes you, the giver, more kind and not only more kind, but more worthy of God's <laughs> blessings. Because when we give, an interesting thing that we find in the Torah, you know there are certain words that you can read both ways. What are they called? Adagraim. Huh? What? Uh, what? Uh, what? Uh, uh, no. what? Palindrome. palindrome. That's where you go. So the palindrome in the Torah, the word venasnu, and you will give, in Hebrew can be read from right to left and left to right. telling God's telling us that when you will give, you get back. The more you give, the more God gives you back. <laughs> Text number 10. We come to another one, which is honoring your parents. Also seems like intuitively something positive, but yet here this also serves as a meditation to develop a positive tri- a trait in a child towards their parents. Honoring parents' meditation is as follows. The root of the commandment for an individual to honor their father or mother is that it is fitting for a person to acknowledge and return kindness to those who provide a kind goodness, and to avoid becoming selfish and ingrate, an evil and repulsive attribute in the eyes of God and mortals alike. This mitzvah is designated to spur us to contemplate that our parents are the material cause for our existence in this world. It is therefore truly fitting to honor them in every way and to provide them with every benefit that is within our ability. For they brought us into this world and toiled on our behalf in numerous ways when we were young. What we saw, the concept of honoring your parents, is a kind of form of reciprocity, showing that you have gotten something and you're grateful for what you have. It's an ingraining within ourselves and our psyche, the concept of gratitude, recognizing that every single day I am here in this world because of my parents. I am here, they gave me a roof over my head, clothes to wear when I was a child, whatever it may be, or even if somebody who didn't have those opportunities, the very fact that they're here in this world was only due to their parents. So helping us develop a concept of gratefulness, the Torah gives us the mitzvah of honoring our parents. Another mitzvah we have once a week, which is called Shabbat. Shabbat is a mitzvah that we are all aware of and probably know the basic reason too. God created the world in six days, rested on the seventh, and therefore we rest on the seventh day. But seemingly it seems just of rituals of do's and don'ts. What kind of meditation can Shabbos have? Text number 11. The root of this commandment is to abstain from work on Shabbat. It is that we should free ourselves from our occupations to honor the day of Shabbat, thereby instilling within ourselves a belief in God Creation of the universe for this brief, for this belief is the cord to which every foundation of our religion is attached. What is Shabbat telling us? Develops a stronger faith in God. Lets us know that there is one time during the week that I can put everything aside. Nothing else matters but my relationship with God. Shabbat gives me that opportunity to be part of God's creation, to be part of the creation of the world, to be part of my faith and understand it and appreciate it and put everything understand still in the hustle and bustle in the world that I can take a moment and step back and join God in the creation of the universe try it take one day a week when you don't look at your phone you'll feel much better and it becomes automatic 25 hours that you turn it all off and it's only time for yourself the unbelievable relaxation the unbelievable Joy that you get from it. I know that it. Sometimes I think when I we teach in Hebrew school, we talk about Shabbat, and the kids ask me and said that means you really don't look at your phone for 25 hours. You don't. I said, yeah, we really. It's like imagine sitting around the dinner table and nobody has their phone out. It's like unbelievable. Everybody's actually talking to each other. It's amazing. <laughs> the next uh, mitzvahs. This one is uh, specifically by men, which is tefillin, which is boxes and straps that we put on the arm on our head. Wearing tefillin seemingly looks like just a generic type of thing that we put some straps on with scrolls on our hands, on our head. What does it really mean? And tefillin tells us as follows. Text number 12. Among the commandments from God that are for the sake of molding thoughts in order to serve him in purity is the commandment of tefillin. Tefillin are to be placed on the body in the location corresponding to the brain and the heart, organs that are referred to as the seats of intellect and perception. Laying tefillin and contemplating their purpose leads to dedicating all the thoughts to the good and leads to constantly remember to be careful to calibrate all deeds in a righteousness and justice. It is easy for when we talk about beliefs for them to be in the abstract. You know I believe that in essence the world should be a beautiful perfect place but let somebody else do it, why do I have to worry about it? What tefillin tells me is that I put tefillin on my head and I put tefillin on my arm. Telling me that those two are connected. Whatever I believe has to translate into what I do. Not only that, but whatever I do should be controlled by my beliefs. That the concepts, the ideas, the mind over matter, understanding and appreciating that everything that there is, that the kindness that we have in the God, the kindness that we have in the world, everything that we have comes from God and the importance of our faith in God is vision in the world. Everything should be that focus. So I take my belief in God ingrain it in my actions so that when I feel, my perception of the world is something which is channeled of an energy of godliness. Yes? So men have this mitzvah to do, to be mindful, to meditate over all these uh, aspects? But what do we women have? Okay, that's why you're ready for the next one. Uh, oh. Placing a mezuzah on our door. Sorry, sorry. Placing a mezuzah on our door. We know is something which is a very important mitzvah, and we look at it as a symbol of, divine, of Jewish pride and divine protection. The mezuzah serves to train us and ingrain our mind in that spiritual sensibility. Let's see text number 13. We must be careful to observe the mitzvah of mezuzah, for it is an obligation that is constantly incumbent upon everyone. Through observing the precept whenever we enter or leave our home, we are encountered the symbol of God's unity and we recall and love for him. This activity shakes us and awakes us from our spiritual slumber, our obsession with material vanities, so that we recognize that nothing we gain lasts forever except knowledge of the Creator and the universe. This will spur us to regain proper mindful awareness and make upright decisions. Where is the mezuzah placed? The mezuzah is placed at every doorway, that when we walk out of our home and we walk in our home, When we walk through a doorway, we put our hand on the mezuzah and we remind ourselves that I'm going, going out into the world and I may be indulging in materialistic things. I may be looking at things and enjoying things of materialism, but what are those materialistic items? They're only temporary. They're here today, gone tomorrow. My relationship, my faith in God is something that is eternal. This spiritual mindfulness that I have with the mezuzah just being on my door as a constant reminder that even while I'm not in my house, my mezuzah, Protects me, and even of course, when I am in my house, the mezuzah protects me. My connection to God is something which is constant because of the mezuzah that's on my door. Yes, Men and
2: women have that
0: mitzvah. correct. So, what
2: do women have? Is it so, you have, you have the, the mezuzah. Shab- there are
0: many other mitzvahs. We have the, um, the mitzvah and the mitzvah. There are many other mitzvahs that a person, there are many other mitzvahs that women can do that have the same ideas. Today we just picked five of those mitzvahs. The one that we picked was tefillah, but there are other mitzvahs that every single mitzvah has a reason and a rationale For example, mikveh is a mitzvah that women can do, that they actually submerge themselves completely in the water of absolute dedication to God. That's one of the concepts of mikveh, that a person has nothing of himself; that they become one with the water, so to speak, that they're giving themselves over completely. There's many other mitzvahs, and we're just picking over here certain ones that the Chenuch talks about and gives it examples. Just to give you a little example, Maimonides even goes to very far lengths, even finding, for example, the mitzvah of kosher. So i give, just give you a little go as a side note. Maimonides in his book of laws, when he talks about the law of kosher, Maimonides says you have to keep the law of kosher because that's what God said to do. No rationale. It's one of the mitzvahs without a rationale. But in his book, in the Guide of the Perplexed, Maimonides starts giving a rationale for kosher because it makes you refined when you eat certain animals that are refined. But that's not the reason why we do the mitzvah. That is a side benefit that comes from the mitzvah. So every single mitzvah has a side benefit, whether it's given to men or to women. It wasn't because of the benefit that the mitzvah was given to you. The mitzvah, by doing the mitzvah, you have that benefit that you're getting from it. And this is our point today, what we're saying is, that these select mitzvahs that we explored are meditative mitzvahs. That means they are a mitzvah, and by the mere fact of doing the mitzvah, you are getting that meditative benefit that it has with it. So what we've seen over here is, what we've taken away so far, what we get from all this is that it's not only when we approach the practical observance of mitzvahs, we all of a sudden have now a new appreciation for these mitzvahs. They have a new concept, they have a new idea that they teach us. That the meaning of a mitzvah is not merely a route or a, or a law or a commandment or something I'm just doing because that's what I have to do. The mitzvah, number one, has a dual experience to it a meditative dual experience to it. Number one, it's relationship that it creates with me and God, the intimate connection that it gives me to have with God, and even more so the experience and side effect, if you want to call it, is the meditative experience that I do by doing the mitzvah. The mitzvah provides an opportunity for me to practice the practical and spiritual meditation every single day of my life. That when I do this mitzvah in a continuous manner, I then become that individual that the mitzvah offers to have in that meditative process. So therefore, the next time you have an opportunity to do a mitzvah, whether it's helping someone, or celebrating Shabbat, or being asked to put on tefillin, or whatever it may be, consider the fact and reflect on the concept, A, on the spiritual connection that you have because of doing the mitzvah, and B, what your benefit that you are gaining from that mitzvah. That means practicing the mitzvah enhances our performance of doing the mitzvahs, enhances our life, and we become better people because of doing the mitzvahs. Rabbi? Yes? Do
2: husband and wife benefit from each other's mitzvahs? Does the husband benefit from the
0: wife's mikvah? A hundred percent. Because especially the mitzvahs that have to do with the husband and wife, it creates the relationship. It makes the relationship wholesome. That means, even though, and this is the interesting part of the mitzvah, even though technically, let's say, the wife is the one that's obligated to go to the mikvah. It is the husband who now can observe the mitzvah because she went to the mikveh. give you just a little example here. The actual mitzvah of reproduction, the mitzvah of having children, is the male's mitzvah, not the female's. But the male can't do it without the female. So therefore, the mitzvah, in essence, it's a mitzvah combined. And that's why, what is the term, and actually we use it in the terminology of you and God, one of the things we mentioned in respect of your parents, It says that when a person honors their parents, they're honoring God. Why? Because there are three partners in creating a human being. The mother, the father, and God. And without any of them, contrary to popular belief, the child can not be born. And therefore, when we honor our parents, we are honoring God. And that's why if you look in the Ten Commandments, there are five between man and his fellow and five between man and God. What's the fifth commandment? is honoring your parents because that's the hybrid, because that's between man and your fellow, because since you're gaining, so to speak, of gratitude, that you have to thank your parents that they gave you a roof over their head, and that's why you honor them, but you're also honoring them because they are partners with God. So it's a, it's a dual mitzvah. Now, bring that back into the relationship of a husband and wife. The husband and wife become one entity, and because they become one, as the words in the Torah, is, they become one flesh. And if they're one flesh, every mitzvah that the husband does even if, for example, it goes the opposite way around. It says the women are not obligated to study Torah, only the laws that they have to know. and But they get the reward from their husbands learning Torah. Same ideas with prayer. Women have only limitations of what they're obligated, let's say tefillin, all those, but they get the reward from their husbands doing it. So it works, it's one unit. So when a person gets married, it's, they become one flesh, one entity. And that's why intimacy is considered the holiest uh, part of a marriage is because that's when they're actually one flesh. That brings them back to the time of creation. So before we conclude, here's just the key points of what we studied about today.
2: Beyond Lesson six.
1: Mind and matter the influences of meditation on practice, and of practice on meditation. 1. Although Judaism emphasizes action over all else, the active performance of the mitzvot have a meditative quality too. 2. Mitzvot, as acts of service to God, bridge the divide between mortal mankind and the infinite God mitzvot serve to establish a relationship with God. Three, this meditative intent that motivates mitzvot performance is what makes them meaningful. Four, mitzvot also personally benefit the person performing them. Five, our actions and behaviors shape our mindsets and attitudes. Six. Each mitzvah serves as a meditative function to shape our moral and spiritual perspectives and to
0: develop positive attitudes. So, we've gone through six weeks of meditations. Different meditations, this learning experience I'm sure was a little different than all the other different types of classes that we had. In different types of reflections that you may have from this class, but there are many powerful ideas that we've learned and experienced through these six weeks. The story told about a chassid of the fourth Chabad Rebbe, the Rebbe Marash, who once came in for a private audience with his master, the Rebbe of Marash, and he told him and he asked him as follows: He asked the chassid, "What did you do this morning before you began to pray?" The chassid said, responded, I studied some mystical texts of Hasidism, which, was the, which is the custom by Hasidim to study before they pray. He said, and what did you do during your prayer? The chassid responds, I meditated on all those different mystical t- talks that I learned about. And he said, and after the prayers, what did you do? He says, I continued to meditate about those spiritual great levels of the Hasidic text. Then the rebbe continues to question him and he says, and what about in the evening? What did you think about before you said Shema, before retiring for, that, for the night? He says, I meditated on the divine spiritual concepts, the Chassid answers. Well, the Chassid was waiting for this grand applause for the Rebbe to say, wow, that's beautiful that you're studying so much and you're meditating that much and it was wonderful. But the Rebbe Marash looks at him and he says, he says, you spent all this time Meditating about God, when do you ever think about yourself? And the chassid fainted.
2: <laughs>
0: what happened? Why did the chassid faint? What went on? And when he was revived, the Rebbe explained to him and he says, My intention wasn't to shock you into faint, it was meant to push you into action. What happened here? The chassid thought he was doing the greatest thing. All he was doing all day was thinking about how God great, how great God is, how wonderful God is, and how wonderful the mystics were, and how wonderful all the meditations are. But how did it translate into tachlis, as they say in Hebrew? How did it translate into practicality? How did it make a difference in his life? What did it mean to him? I can think about how God great, how great God is, but what does that translate in his relationship with God? This is when we talk about meditation. Six weeks we spoke about all different kinds of meditations. Wonderful meditations. And what the meditation can do for us. And what it does in our relationship with God. But we have to ask ourselves, how does this change? How do I become different? How do I become better for as powerful as they are? It is important to remember that the goal of the meditation is not to escape our troubles. Not to run away like in other meditations. But to be able to transform who we are and our practices in our daily life. So I hope you enjoyed this course as much as I did and had a wonderful time, and hopefully we will walk away with some different tools to help our awareness and reframe our perspectives of how we look at things. Just wait for the promo for the next Beyond
1: month. 10, the Torah has 603 more commandments. Beyond religious practice, like Passover and Yom Kippur, much of Jewish law is surprisingly devotional.